In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hello, and welcome back to Soft Black Women, presented by The Betches Up. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kaday, and each and every Friday on Soft Black Women, we'll be talking about a range of topics from pop culture to politics and how we live our lives through the lens of intersectionality and softness. Each and every week on Soft Black Women, I'll be joined by a different guest co-host um, who will help me break down these stories. And this week, I am very excited to introduce Millie Tamara's birthday girl, co-host <laughs> of Betches Sub, comedian, writer, actress, fellow Hispaniola person. We're representing yes. Haiti and the Dominican Republic today. Yes. Welcome, Millie. Thank you for having me. I just, my favorite thing is that my birthday is for the rest of the year. So. Oh my God. Absolutely. The sub listeners have heard many of birthday things. So I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited to be on. Well, as a, a Cancer Leo, you mm -hmm. can take all the time that you need to celebrate your birthday. <laughs> yes. I am patiently waiting for Virgo season in which, mm. um, yeah, my birthday is September 2nd. So I'll be kicking that off uh, with Beyonce at Renaissance. That's so like my birthday present. Oh, which I'm nice. So I'm going to see Beyonce this uh, Sunday. Yeah. Ooh, it's time. Are you excited? Yeah, I am excited. What are, What is Millie wearing? <laughs> Millie is wearing something that the the outfit that I want to wear. I'm just worried it might be too hot. Yeah. Um. But it, it, it there is a one piece Mugler knockoff <gasps> situation happening that I've never worn. Like sheer insert, like panel insert. Ooh. Like I'm gonna need titty tape. It's gonna be. Ooh, titty it's tape. gonna be quite the affair. People, <laughs> people need to lean into titty tape. I think for those who may not know, if they don't live the life of Renaissance, uh, some people have been planning their outfits for months. Um, yeah. It's been a process. I have narrowed it down to two looks. Mm -hmm. Haven't found the shoe. And um, I'm worried. Shoes are important because... Yeah. Three hours. I mean, it's like New York. It's like, I, you know, I think when I was younger, I was like, hey, I'm going to definitely be wearing heels all the time. And the reality is your girl loves a sneaker, loves a platform because she's walking. She's walking. She's traveling. She's on the train. She's on the bus. I'm a bus girly. I'm yeah. a moped girly. Ooh. Heels I can do if, if I get into a car, if I'm going <laughs> somewhere, if I get into a car, yes, drive, get to the destination, and I'm there for two hours. Two, and you can sit down. And then I'm sitting down the whole two hours. Yeah. Then I can wear heels. We're talking gala. <laughs> yeah, but really, I always bring a a, a comfortable shoe. Yeah, uh, to change. I take the picture in the heel, and then yeah. Um, but you know, that's also just like a phenomenon. I think of all like social events now is that even like Eras Tour, Harry Styles, yeah, Barbie. People are dressing up. It's so funny because. I think people have really lamented like, oh, no one dresses up anymore in America. Like you used to dress up to go to the airport. It used to be this affair where you would wear your best. And like now it's like all about athleisure and being comfortable in airports. But I feel like the effort that would be put into dressing up for the airport and the office has now moved into these specific social events where you go to a concert, you dress a certain way. I I just think that that's just like a new phenomenon. Like, and every concert has its own fashion. Like yeah. I saw Bad Bunny last year in Yankee Stadium. And that's, but like, if you would go on TikTok, especially Latin TikTok, it was like, these are outfits you can wear to the Bad Bunny. And specifically, <laughs> like I had like multiple bookmark things of plus size outfits for the Bad Bunny concert. <laughs> 
and it's so specific. And I'm sure there's some for Eros tour, and I'm sure there's some for Renaissance and all that. It's 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 really interesting how dress codes will always exist, but in different ways now. Oh, well said. Very true. I I would just tell the listeners if you don't already follow us. Or if you're looking for fashion tips, look at our Instagrams because we are both <laughs> into fashion. Millie does an exceptional job. I do what I can when I can. I go in between, you know, fashion forward and, and sporty spice. Mm. But we are going to talk about a lot of things today, including the Barbie movie, Sag Strike, and um, Florida, unfortunately. So yay for that. So let's start with For the Culture. This is the part of the show where we examine some of the top trending pop culture, media headlines. And our first subject for today is, you know, the week in box office is all about Barbie and Oppenheimer. But I want to I want to talk about Barbie. Have you seen have you seen Barbie? Yes, I have. Okay, so I was having a horrible day on Monday this week, like everything that could go wrong went wrong, all the way down to me wanting to get a Mexican pizza (laughs) at nine (laughs) o'clock at night. And the drive-through line was too long. It was like nine nine thirty, and so I was like, "Fuck it, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go see the Barbie movie." Now, I didn't know that my body was telling me I needed the Barbie movie because I did happen to have on a two-tone pink cardigan. Hmm. Right. So, if we're talking about because you're Northern California, yeah, Northern California, no summer there. <laughs> No. Cool weather all the I know. time. Well, we're like the only place in the country that is still between like 60s and 70s, you know, while everyone else is dealing with the heat wave. Do you know that like 30 Rock joke about Northern California? Wait, which 30 Rock joke? I'll probably remember, but remind me. It's like, uh, what are you going to do? You failed in New York. You're going to move to the B- Bay Area and pretend like that was your plan all along. Enjoy carrying a light sweater. Uh, I do remember that. I love 30 Rock. And yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. One of my favorite things in the entire world, I live in Oakland, California, but is when people go to visit San Francisco in the summer, they think it's LA. It's not. No, it's no. Northern California. So no. people are confused. They have on shorts, their no. tank tops, and then everyone has to buy like the San Francisco fleece. And so those stores make so much money. Yeah. So much money. I I famously went to famously by like whatever Pacific Northwest last year. I went to San Francisco or um, Portland and Seattle last year, last summer. And honey, it's so crazy because Portland and Seattle were warm, but San Francisco. It's because we have the we have the bay mm-hmm. and then we have the ocean. And mm-hmm. so the fog comes in. We call it Carl the Fog that will come mm-hmm. in. Oakland, we randomly have fog, but I don't know. It, it's very interesting. Okay. So you were wearing your two-tone cardigan. I did. I walked in. I got my my seat on an on a side, you know, like mm-hmm. I because I live with disability, I can sit in the ADA seat. So mm-hmm. I can be in the middle and have some space. I laughed out loud and I haven't laughed out loud, like liter- literally at a movie in a very long time. Mm-hmm. There are some really great jokes in it. Yeah. And the soundtrack is actually, you know. Oh, the soundtrack is so fun. It is. It's so it's so fun. There's a Khalid song on there that's like my favorite. But the studio was like, okay, we're hoping this will make $60 million. This movie racked up $155 million. $155 million in the opening weekend. And that's another $182 million nationally. It's on the top 25 list, and it's the best opening ever film for a woman-identifying director, solo, or co-director. Like, big deal. Mm -hmm. Now, for me, it's important to note that Greta Gerwig is from Sacramento, California. Mm -hmm. I played against her high school in tennis. She went to St. Francis. (laughs) We we have an overlap of two years. and I just love seeing a Sacramentan shine in this way. But mm-hmm. the movie was everything. Like, did you enjoy Lady Bird? Oh my God! Yeah, that was my life. That was my life. Yeah, I didn't roll out of a car. Did not roll out of a car. But I went to that thrift store. I had to deal with like family stuff. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get out. I wanted mm-hmm. to get out. I saw the movie at Tower Records. I mean, like you know, yeah. <laughs> that was your life. That's so yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I do want to get into America Ferrer's monologue, but tell me what you thought of the movie. I loved it. I thought it was great. I love Greta Gerwig. I thought it was fun. 
And I laughed out loud and was really pleasantly surprised with, I know like now there's a lot of criticism about it not being feminist enough, but to me, I was surprised with the amount of feminism they got away with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. I mean, I thought it was really funny. You know, on, on SUP, we talked a lot about like the Republican reaction to it. After watching it, I was like, oh, I can definitely see why conservatives aren't stoked about this. But, you know, this podcast is about inter intersectionality. I think a criticism of, you know, Greta Gerwig has, you know, she didn't write Frances Ha, Noah did, but Frances Ha was like a very specific movie about like, being a woman and like transitioning to adulthood and all that stuff. And like lady bird and little women too. Like mm -hmm. they were all things about women, but I guess my criticism or my thing was like in the way that Lena Dunham's girls was, <laughs> was like, this is supposed to be this like marker of womanhood. And it's just so white. Like it's so like, not intersectional. So it was really great. I mean, at the surface level, I don't think it's up to Greta Gerwig or Lena Dunham or white female directors to embody every experience. I don't think like anybody should, but that has, that was something that was always like a little thing I had in the back of my head mm. was like, I'm supposed, you know, there are things about me that I see, but also there are things I don't. For the America Fiera, you know, again, another actress who, like, given, like, how long she's had a career and stuff and all that, you know, it's it's very difficult for Latin actors and creators and stuff. Like, so for her to, like, head this movie, you know, or, like, star in, like, a, a specific way, I thought it was really great and I was yeah. really excited by it. Yeah. I mean, I will say I did, like, seeing on the screen, like you're saying, a trans actor, different sizes, Issa Rae being president, I, I thought was powerful, important to have, particularly for representation for complexion when it comes to black women, because we don't see people with beautiful, deeper complexions mm -hmm. as much. And that's why Issa Rae is so important. But there was also like for me, it was great to see in one of the dance scenes, someone in a wheelchair, because that also like you're saying, you know, it's talking about ability. But the thing that's my favorite thing, I actually don't really like pink. It's like, it's not been my cover. Like I can get into future. There was a lot of pink to look at in the movie. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I, you know, I'm open about it. Again, I do like fuchsia, like things that are a little bit more sharper. Maybe I should think about that and my softness of getting into pink, but. Unpack that. Yeah, I'm going to unpack that. That's my tonight's journey that I'll go on. But America Ferrera has a monologue. I'm not going to ruin it for the folks who haven't seen the movie yet. Do want to encourage you to see it. But I will read one line. In this monologue, she says, it is literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful and so smart. And it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like we have to always be extraordinary, extraordinary. But somehow we're always doing it wrong. And so that kind of leads into so many more gems. But I think what the movie does really well is it shows um, gender roles, dynamics, <laughs> patriarchy, feminism, what that looks like and how to exist. So I think the movie does a really good job of what it feels like to be someone who identifies as a woman in 2023. And I think that's powerful to have. I also miss my Barbies. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I'm like, where are they? Are they still in my mom's garage? <laughs> like, what are they doing? Are they happy in their worlds? Are they sad? Do I need to save them? Did you play Barbies growing up? You know, my mom was very like, I was a little like new agey, like feminist. So she was really anti-Barbie because she felt like it instilled unrealistic beauty standards. <laughs> so I was only allowed to play with Cabbage Patch dolls, which oh, ironically, right. I looked like a Cabbage Patch doll when I was growing up. And some may argue now, even if my mom consciously didn't buy Barbies for me, like I still had Barbie, you know what I mean? Like Barbie's just one of those inescapable things. Oh, and totally. what I thought was 
as I'm learning more about Barbies, it was like the Barbie dream house does not have a kitchen. None of them ever had kitchens. Like I think role play and play for girls was before Barbie was all about being a mother or a Mm -hmm. kitchen set. And like Mm -hmm. this, it allowed, you know, girls to have an imagination of, you know, like, what do we want to do? Like with all our time and effort, you know? So I, that's what I was really cool about it. Oh, you still have your Barbie. Well, okay. I'm looking at a 10th anniversary. This is the 40th anniversary. 40th. First black Barbie. So uh, she originally came out in 1980. It's like on the back, right? She came out. She in and she's beautiful. I would say, who do you think she looks like? Like to me, because okay, this is black. She looks Barbie. like blackness. Um. Yeah, I know. She has an afro. She's yeah. wearing like a long red velvet oh, yeah. gown. This is beautiful. Like, oh, totally. I would say, like the closest thing. Her tone is very dark, deep too, yes. like an Issa Rae. Yeah, but. The everything else is giving Pam Greer in one of my favorite movies, Coffee. Oh yeah, but you know what didn't change? She's gonna get the slit. You know. Well, yeah, of course she's still Barbie. She has to be hot, T- but totally. And so this the came slit out, on the dress, guys. The, <laughs> the slit, slit on, on the dress. dress. Slit on the dress. You, to be clear. This is a, a audio medium. You have to describe what you're talking. Yeah, about. that's very true. So this they they relaunched this doll or the anniversary of the doll in 2020. I recently found it like last weekend because I was reorganizing my office and I didn't know that I I didn't know that I had someone gifted it to me I didn't know that I had it because of this movie I have a lot of joy in this and this doll and this Barbie but like you said in 1980 to have that complexion is really powerful mm-hmm. I think it's also the same for Cabbage Patch dolls now that you brought that up my child is Rufus Xavier Cadet who I still have but he was a beautiful deeper complexion chocolate baby and I loved him so much and and it was nice to be able to have a doll that, you know, represented me. And, you know, same for Barbie, like to have that out there. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Did you see Oppenheimer? I haven't. And it's like kind of like the Barbie tickets me and my friends purchased like a month ago. But Oppenheimer 
if you didn't purchase it ahead of time, I'm like, I guess I can go watch it at 9.30 in the morning <laughs> next Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> I know, like, uh. <laughs> so Oppenheimer made $80.5 million, uh, $174 million globally. It, for those of you who don't know, it is a three-hour historical BIPOC. It's talking about, you know, Robert Oppenheimer and who is a physicist who developed the first nuclear weapons through the Manhattan Project. So think, you know, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the unfortunate, horrific, traumatic, residual nuclear bombings. I cannot watch a three-hour movie. I cannot do it. So I will have to wait for it to be on demand so I can buy it, so I can take a break. Mm-hmm. I, I will fall asleep. It, it looks it looks like a great movie. We know that uh, Christopher Nolan loves to space out letters for his movie titles. We know that uh, cinematography is going to be great. We're going to have some really strong dialogue and storytelling. So, so I'll get back to you in like a month. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the criticism with Nolan is that he doesn't write women well, and women are not three-dimensional creatures oh, in yeah. his in his stories. But you're going to get that strong male lead. You're, there's a strong male lead, and there's 15,000 <laughs> white male actors in this fucking movie. I'm going to look at Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer cast. I'll do the men. Cillian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., Rami Malek, Jack Quaid, Matt Damon, Devin Bostick, Josh Peck, Josh Hartnett, Tom Conti, David Dask Malkian, Mateus, I'm not pronouncing this last name, Gary Oldman, Dylan Arnold, Dane DeHaan, Casey Affleck, Benny Safdie, Alex Wolf, Gustav Skarsgård, Kenneth Branagh, jo- Jason Clark, Michael Angonrio. Gun- I-, I feel like I'm a fucking substitute teacher. Al- <laughs> Alden Aaron Reich, James Darcy, Matthew Modine, David Crumholtz, that's a fucking throwback, Tony Goldwyn, Scott Grimes, Robert Pugh, Danny DeFiari, Tan Fusa Argov, Sean Avery, Jefferson Hong, Cash Hovey, Josh Tucker, I'm still not done, James Rehar, David Bertucci, Christopher Denham, Tom Decay, Jeff Hepner, Gregory Jabara, Jack Coltmore Scott, Harrison Gilbertson, Bryce Johnson, Guy Burnett, and finally, last but not least, James Urbanock. That is 45. 45. 45. Well, what I really love about Oppenheimer is the diversity and inclusion because they, you know, Christopher Nolan was like, listen, I don't want one Josh. I don't mm-hmm. want two. I want three. Three I Josh. want three. Yeah, I'm not going to let that be a barrier to the white men in this movie. So Three Joshes, two Davids. <laughs> I feel like there's more than one Jason. Well, I mean, as we think about that, we're we're talking about actors and obviously right now the the SAG after, you know, strike is happening right now. You are you are a writer. Mhm. So I've acted too. <laughs> You're both. I've done you're some both. Acting. You're both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't. I'm not in SAG, but I'm closer to WGA than I am. In Into SAG. the. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So some of you may have heard that Universal Studios decided to get into pruning, and they trimmed the trees all the way back to remove shade away from picketers. This is really interesting because some people are looking into the city, and the city had no permits to do anything for the trees. And so as a result, we know that Universal Studios cut the trees back. Oop, shady stuff. Shady stuff that they're doing. I'm proud of my... Pun insta- yeah, pun yeah. intended. Pun intended. Pun slightly intended. dad joke rising. But in addition to the, you know, the strike, so many strikes are happening right now, but to the SAG strike, Brian Cranston, who we all may know and love from Breaking Bad, sent a message directly to Bob Eager, and, and he's a, the CEO for Disney. Brian said, I know, sir, that you look through things through a different lens. 
We don't expect you to understand who we are, but we're asking you to hear us. And beyond that, to listen to us when we tell you we will not be having our jobs taken away and given to robots. We will not have you take away our right to work and earn a decent living. And lastly, and most importantly, we will not allow you to take away our dignity. We are union through and through all the way to the end. And this is really important to note because, you know, SAG, we're, we're similar to Writer Strike, we're talking about, you know, streaming services. We're, we're talking about AI and how that's showing up. Um, you know, we are moving closer to a world where you could <laughs> ask AI to put together a script uh, or a whole movie or a cartoon or a voiceover and so much more. We have AI models. Like there's a lot happening that's out there. I know you are in solidarity, but, you know, how do you feel about like streaming and AI and, and all this other stuff that's coming up? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we talked about it on pod a lot and even Alana Glazer had like a really great like point. It's like the people making these decisions don't understand what it's like. And also technology is not something we should shy away from and we should try to embrace to make our lives better. But what's happening right now is that just like with everything with every industry, they're trying to make it a gig economy when before it was this career where even if you weren't Brian Cranston, you can make a living. You know, you could you could have stability and buy a house and all this stuff. Healthcare. Healthcare, <laughs> exactly. Have a family if you wanted to. Yeah. The reality is now it's this gig economy. I'm experiencing that like I have to work three jobs, four jobs to constantly make sure that my bills are paid. And like, but it's to do something that you love, like to do something that I love that I've worked hard at. And I mean, I think Brian Cranston is a great example of somebody to speak on this because, you know, I'm just literally, this was a point that was made with like Brian Cranston's mom was a radio actress Brian Cranston, like, he was always in regional theaters, local theaters, all this stuff. I think a lot of people get confused because they're like, oh, well, writers get so much. When you hear, when when I first heard the minimum wage for writers, it is like 4000 a week, right? Mm -hmm. Which sounds like a lot of money. But my the reality of the jobs is like, I, I got my first WGA job was eight weeks long. Yes. And then and then another job that I had was five weeks long and they're bringing you for shorter and shorter times. Well, because we don't have the sitcom model like we used we to. We don't have the sitcom yeah. model. So, yeah, it's just like the they're trying to change the standards and pay people less so that they can profit more. And it's all about profit. And, you know, so, yeah, that's how I'm feeling is like we can have a future where we do embrace technology and we shouldn't shy away from, but not at the cost of a career making a living for so many people, especially when instead of those profits being shared a little bit more, not even equally, but just so that people can live, it's just going to 10 white guys. Well said. I, I love the solidarity between the writers um, and the actors. I absolutely believe something should happen. Streaming is you know, wonderful in the sense that I'm no longer beholden to watching reruns over the summer. You know, there's a lot of progress that has mm -hmm. happened there, but there's also a lot of money that has happened as a result of that technology that should go to everyone. So there can be a set livable wage. And then important to note, these are unionized organizations, which means they're making sure people can have livable wages. And that is why they're on strike. And so it shouldn't be the case where it's like, cool, I have this opportunity to be on a show for eight weeks, but now I have to hustle for another eight, 12, you know, 24 weeks before the next five week show happens to go into the passion and, and what you love. So, and like the reality is like for me to even get to a position where I got the eight week job, I was working in comedy and making connections for 10 years. I lived in a major city for over mm -hmm. 10 years. Like That's people expensive. Know, it's expensive. That's also the other thing too. And it's like, I know that not living in Los Angeles has limited me in terms of like actual jobs, but it's like, yeah, it's like limited by location. It's like, okay, I'm going to move to another like expensive, you know, it's, it's not like you can do this in, not in like 
not pay the most rent. You know, it's just it's just really crazy. Oh, it's absolutely. Pivoting a little bit, things that are bizarre, interesting, and unfolding. Carly Russell admitted that she was not kidnapped and apologized through her lawyer. That came out this week. Um, criminal charges may still be possible, and the chief of police doesn't know. Declined to say if Carly Russell would face charges, but in Alameda, it is a Alameda, Alabama. That's where I am, and it's Alabama. I have got very autocorrected Bay Area, but in Alabama, <laughs> it is a uh, misdemeanor uh, to make a false police report. So. In this letter, she said she uh, faked the entire ordeal and acted alone. And, um, you know, this is one of the things, and we talked about it last week, bring it up again. This should not change the fact that we still need to believe black women. We still need to resource when black women, children uh, are missing. Uh, And the takeaway here is that because of the attention that went into this, that happened on media within 24 hours. It was part of the highest news cycle. I know it was the platinum news cycle. And the next time a black woman disappears, taken, kidnapped, whatever it may be, um, I hope it, it happens again. What are your thoughts? You know, I've just seen all kinds of discourse on this case. I have to say, like, I saw murmurs of like, you know, she was missing and then she wasn't. And then people were like definitely victim blaming or like, oh, whatever. And it's just like, even if she did that, you know, she's saying, you know, she's saying that she did lie. Like this is still someone who needs medical attention and like support and support and like somebody who is okay is not doing this. You know what I mean? whether she's in like emotional distress, mental distress, like it is a sign, you know, seeking attention is a sign that something else is going on. And ultimately that what's, that's what happens. Carly Russell is a, a black woman. Um, but we, we do have to think about our overall um, health and health includes mental health. We say mental health, which excludes things like Biden is working on that, but mental health is health. And, we need to do a better job of that as far as a country, how we support it, but also how we give people compassion and grace and that. And so I also, like I said last week, will reiterate, I hope she's getting the care that she needs because it's important. Speaking of care, you know who doesn't care? Florida. Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. So as you may have heard, listeners, The Board of Education in Florida has changed the standards when talking about enslavement of our ancestors, uh, African and black people, uh, if you if you don't know, to say that uh, slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Slavery helped people. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was. I mean. Enslavement was one of the best fellowship training programs, internships yeah. mm-hmm. around that really unpaid internship, really unpaid, but naturally unpaid because that you have to do the work to show that you you deserve the job and the opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, to to move in that position. So uh, when DeSantis was asked about it, he was like, you know, like basically, you know, it was it's true because at, at some point. They, you know, after they became like a blacksmith. So, you know, got this training program. Kamala Harris was pissed about it. So an event with Delta Sigma Theta sorority, if you don't know, that is a black woman's sorority. She said in a speech that like things like this are designed to insult us in an attempt to gaslight us. And we will not stand for it. Uh, We know the history of this country. She's talking about the divide of the country and how they are referring to those who don't want to value the history, even if painful for, for black people in this country. They're creating these unnecessary debates. And this is unnecessary to debate whether enslaved people benefited from slavery. So here's the thing, y'all. African people already had skills. And that's because they had kingdoms and empires and wealth and so African people were herders, they were boat builders, they were inoculating smallpox, you know, they were 
cooking food, building. They were architects. They were all of these things. And the thing that happened with the transatlantic slave trade is that the oppressors and colonizers were looking specifically for skills Mm -hmm. of those various empires and tribes to bring them over to build America. So Mm -hmm. Chesapeake Bay, they need boats, y'all. So they worked with a specific region to bring people who were experts in building boats to come over. I think that part of the horrors and the truth of slavery is that they didn't, we're like joking about it being an unpaid internship, but like they did not treat these people like people. Murdered, harmed, maimed. Murdered, harmed, maimed, raped, raped, violenced, separated from their families. Yeah. But also separated as the colorism we have today as black people stems from enslavement. Yeah. Because- Millie and I, we would be in the house because we have a lighter complexion. We are multi-ethnic. Like we have the vibe that would allow us to be in the house where we have a low, we would have had a lower probability of harm, definitely raped, lower probability of harm opposed to people who were in the field who had a deeper complexion, Mm -hmm. were doing more physical labor, and Mm -hmm. they were experiencing a insane amount of harm, murder, and, and trauma. Trauma collectively, but trauma out there, there's levels well, it's to just it. The, it's the pr- proximity to whiteness. So Absolutely. if you have a closer proximity and like that was what your value is, mm-hmm. and that unfortunately has permeated today. But the, the reality is that there are people who want to act like that is not a reality of society or that even bringing it up or talking about it is racist in itself or to ignore the horrors or like why can't you just get over it or like not acknowledge or anything like that or like why should white people feel bad about themselves you know like that is what this legislation is behind why can't we talk about the various companies that built wealth in this country right so we can talk all about trade but we're Mm -hmm. going to pretend that human bodies weren't part of trade right so yeah there was sugar spices on the boat, but also Africans were on the boat, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? So when, when people want to fragment history, it causes harm, Mm -hmm. suppression, it upholds values of white supremacy as well. You're talking about proximity to whiteness, uh, which is a very real true thing. But a lot of the reason why I have to advocate for so many things as being a black woman, which is why I'm leaning into softness, why I practice softness is because of those very structures and systems. Yeah. And the this thing in Florida is signifying this movement to suppress those realities, ignore those realities, to in turn be able to cause more harm and exploitation and not change the systems now. Because in order to change systems now, and make things more equitable, you have to acknowledge the past. But if you don't acknowledge the past, you don't have to do any work in the present. Well, if we go back to free labor, that's why, you know, it's important to talk about reparations too. Yeah. Right. And how that shows up to, to be able to put black people in a position to also thrive and have those social determinants of health that come from the structures and systems of white supremacy. But speaking of white supremacy this week, On Emmett Till's birthday, Mm -hmm. Biden announced that there will be an Emmett Till and Mammy Till Mobley, so Emmett Till's mother, they will have monuments, which I'm so excited about. The monuments will be in uh, Chicago, Mississippi. And for those of you who do not know what I'm talking about, uh, Emmett Till was horrifically and brutally murdered and lynched in 1925. So... He uh, lived in Chicago, was visiting family in Money, Mississippi. This white woman accused him of whistling or heckling at her. And her husband and brother ended up horrifically murdering Emmett Till. This was a, a huge time in history because Mammy Till decided to showcase what her son's body looked like on the cover of Jet magazine, a black magazine, 
full on images. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Shout out open casket, even though yeah. he was like brutalized. Yeah. For the civil rights movement. So this past Tuesday, Emmett Till would have been 82 years old, which is important to note that he would have been 82 years old. Some of you have people in your family who are 82 years old. Carolyn Bryant, who is the, the white woman in, the, in this case, she died August of this year, August 27th, to be exact, of this year. And she was never charged, nor were her husband or like the brother-in-law. They went to trial, but it didn't happen. Racism is real. But why this is really important is in 1955, Mammy Till wrote to President Eisenhower at the time asking for justice for her 14-year-old son who was lynched and um, sent a telegram, you know, the, the text of the time. And the telegram said, justice is meted out to all persons involved in the beastly lynching of my son. And she never heard back. And so here we are 68 years later and Biden is acknowledging what happened at that time. I mean, it's just crazy because in many ways it's radical compared to DeSantis. And in many ways I'm like, we didn't already have a fucking memorial for Emmett Till. Yeah, so I I just came back from D.C. and I went to the National History Museum of African American History and Culture. And it, it was my first time because pandemic, it was a whole... Anyway, I was happy to it be was there. Hard. Yeah, it just opened like a few years Like ago. 2017 or something? Yeah, anyway, like it's less than five years old. I know so that. I sure. shout out to uh, my flight being delayed severely. So I was able to, <laughs> to take the time um, to go. But there is an Emmett Till Memorial in that, ex- yeah. in that exhibit. I, I won't give that away. And it's no it spoilers. Powerful. No spoilers. <laughs> there is a, a, a Duke historian timothy tyson who interviewed carolyn the white woman who started all this shit the karen of the time and dr tyson said that she admitted to the fact that she made it up which that he didn't whistle yeah, at her didn't that whistle Emmett Till like, never whistled at her like it didn't whistle or they didn't have the exchange or whatever it is till is a great movie if you haven't seen that whatever happened at that moment it didn't happen And this is why I do the work that I do with uh, dismantling white supremacy, because like I said earlier, it's important to believe, you know, uh, black women, but it's also important to to believe black people. He he was like, I I didn't do it. But so many people have lost their lives because of the power of being a white person um, in this in this country. So I just feel like since the beginning of enslavement of African people and Black people in this country, white women have used their words to separate families, to maim, to murder, to own black people. And if people think it's like a thing of the past, that type of behavior is still indicative today. We still see those types of things happen. And, you know, we're seeing it happen as far as other uh, things. Supreme Court, insert horrible thing here. Florida doing things, Texas doing things. You know, you you don't have to even go that far. I mean, literally, my uh, TikTok loves showing me Karen video, like <laughs> of like this woman kicks us out, tries to kick us out of the pool in our apartment complex, or this woman like in the beach, or this and that. I mean, that's all that culture. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. it's all like affecting us now. <sighs> So now it's time for twice as hard. While BIPOC, Black, Indigenous people of color often have to work twice as hard to get half as far, this segment highlights a conversation or eye-opening moment for a BIPOC individual in culture and politics. This week, want to shout out Nikki Oganake. She is the new editor-in-chief for Marie Claire magazine. She's coming from being digital director at Harper's Bazaar. This is a historic opportunity because, you know, in 2023, Black Women are still historic and doing things. <laughs> and Nikki's excited to, you know, bring in some freshness, a new era, and her identity. Uh, she is a West African woman. Happy to see her in this position, but also want to notate that it took her a while to get there. 
while in this position, it will be, you know, difficult, but I want to send her softness and good vibes uh, as she's in this role. Millie, did you ever read Marie Claire? I will give you one better. And I used to work in Hearst Tower freelancing for Elder Core. And I worked really closely, like close proximity physically to the Marie Claire team. And let me tell you, it is. And this was in 2017. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, it is a big deal that they have yeah. <laughs> a black woman. And that's all I'll say about that. It's just great to see, again, as we're talking about standards of beauty, what it means to be a modern woman. There's some, there's someone there who can represent a demographic that was often unspoken to. So. Oh, yeah. But yes, the Hearst Tower near Columbus Circle. Uh, Millie worked there. Millie ate many a lunch in the Hearst <laughs> cafeteria. Millie's amazing. Millie also is my my fellow Android sister. Yes, yes. <laughs> and in solidarity, uh, <sighs> we are proud green bubbles. Yes, everyone. It's green because everyone's jealous. Because everyone's jealous. You were really like, oh my god, you, I can't airdrop you. Guess what? You want my picture because it's better photo, photo quality well, right, than yours. Yeah, you can send it to me on Instagram or yep. on WhatsApp or on literally anything. Else. You can email me. I don't care. My life feels really good. You know, it's. I always tell people it's confidence. Like, why do you have an Android phone? It's confidence. I don't it have is. to have an iPhone like everyone else. Yes, like, I don't. I feel really good. I bet I've all. I've never had an iPhone. Me neither. Can I tell you something? I I had an issue with my Android and I went to the Samsung store. There is one, like, just like the way that there's an Apple store, there's a Samsung store. And meatpacking. And meatpacking. I know. (laughs) And let me tell you something. Those, like the Apple, the Apple employees are fighting for their lives. (laughs) And the Samsung store, I'm over there. I'm chilling. I'm playing video games, waiting for my phone. Because the whole second floor, because Samsung makes appliances, vacuums, all this stuff. So the second floor looks like an Ikea. So I'm (laughs) sitting in the bedroom, like watching something on the Samsung projector and then playing Mortal Kombat. And they're all like, I'm just chilling with all this. It really felt like cheers. Like it was like when you're here, your family ass vibe. In the, you know, and I'm just like, that's what this is what people go to Samsung for. You know? Shout out to Samsung, all my Google apps. I love, I love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for <laughs> having my information, selling it to people, but not exploiting it. No. I appreciate that. Yeah, totally. I'm a soft black woman because I have an Android phone and I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) I bring a lot of intersectionality to the table as a black disabled woman. Why not have an Android? So let's go to my favorite segment, Sounds About White. This is the part of the show where we highlight a news story featuring the latest in white privilege. And I just want to recap and circle back to Jason Aldean and his Try That in a Small Town music video. Magically, y'all, in the video, the Black Lives Matter protest that was like projected onto the Tennessee courthouse where Henry Choate was lynched in 1927. It's now absent from the video. It's gone. And his record label, BBR, said in a statement, the video footage was edited due to third party copyright clearance issues. You know what that third party copyright clearance issue is? It's called uh, racism. I actually do believe it's third-party copyright issues because, Akila, most of the footage from that video was, A, not in America. Like, a lot of those protests against police were in Ukraine or when the Berlin Wall fell. And a lot of them were over 10 years old or five years or all that stuff. So there is this, there is this, like... Amazing TikTok person. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you the link. Oh my god, send it to me. I'm gonna send it to you. But literally, it's debunked and like a big portion of that footage wasn't even in America. I think it literally everything about the every footage about the protest were like in Ukraine, in Europe, in Germany, in like all these I, well, I mean, I'm always here for a fun fact. And so that's I do important. believe that's like it was copyright issues. I think that's great. But we still have to think about the whole premise of the video oh, and the, the message the right, that crazy. wanted to get there. So shout out to copyright issues being right to minimize some of the racism that comes from the video and the song, which I think is fantastic. But, you know, the thing that happens in situations like this is, you know, 
since then, the the song has become extremely popular. Uh, so it was number two on the Billboard chart, um, 18 million views on, on YouTube. You know, because everyone's like looking into uh, this whole thing and, and, and what it is. But Jason Aldean still sucks. And speaking of sucking, uh, school board in Missouri revoked their anti-racism resolution. So in August 2020, this resolution said, pledges to our learning community that we speak firmly against any racism, discrimination, and senseless violence against people regardless of race, ethnicity, nationality, immigration status, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, or ability. We will promote racial healing, especially for our black and brown students and families. Now, Francis Howell District this in Missouri has 17,000 students, 87% of them who are white. Mm-hmm. The board recently changed over and they were like, we don't want any of this and voted it out. So the board vice president said, <laughs> systemic racism, like, what does it even mean? It could be it could be different things to different people. And another board member was like, the resolution served no purpose. Of course it didn't serve a purpose to them. You know how it doesn't serve a purpose to white people? Because it's for it's for BIPOC. It's for black and brown people. It's like systemic racism aren't defined and it can mean different things. It's like, actually, it it does have a definition and you don't know it. <laughs> right. Like, it's a very clear definition. It's actually not open to inter- You can use open Google inter- as a search tool to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's that. I, I just love that you have these in conjunction with each other because the, the, the reality of Jason Aldean's thing is that he was like this mid- country star and it's a strategy to appeal to this 80 87 percent white people of this missouri school district of like it is this reactionary thing to what's actually happening is that like no matter how much they try to suppress and legislate the country is always going to continue to move forward and racism is not going to prevail because the culture is already evolving. And instead of going with the flow or embracing, they're battling. And then the people who are still desperate for power, you know, Jason Aldean is speaking to those people and to the people, to everyone else. Everyone's like, what the fuck is this? How can this exist? That is also making him popular. You know what I mean? It's cyclical. I mean, just as I'm openly black, he is openly MAGA. Right. So, you know, he's in this, you know, so this is for sure on brand for him. But I think bringing up mid is really important. Like we are in a position now where strategy with tapping into white supremacy can elevate someone. The reality is like most mainstream culture, if you can think about it now, especially pop culture is not for MAGA people, right? Like, before, Oh, well, no, you know, they were having shit fits over the Barbie movie, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so. Like, mainstream America is, like, a consuming culture that is inclusive. And one of the biggest pop songs of this year was, star- you know, featuring a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Renaissance. Uh, you know, even Taylor Swift, who's mm-hmm. supposed to be like this white supremacist darling, and c- you can argue is not doing and has been in videos with black people, trans people, whatever. So, which is great, and that's an example of the culture moving in mm-hmm. this positive direction. But there are going to be people who are doubling down and all this shit. And Jason Aldean in- is instead like deciding to be that person yeah to be the person for mega because they don't have you know like like just think about trump's inauguration concert versus biden's and Mm -hmm. who was there and who showed up (laughs) and then who was at trump's and it was literally like two bands including like the the mormon like choir shit so (sighs) i know well to close out the show, uh, I want to highlight someone who's out there being a soft black woman. And this week's soft black woman is President Barbie Issa Rae. She recently talked about how she's thinking about her body and bo- body image issues. So Issa said right before the role came to her, she was in a post-insecure, post-rap shit, post the final season of Insecure Press Tour. And she said, I was like, well, I'm going to let myself go. 
I'm eating everything that she shared with Glamour Magazine in this interview. And then when uh, Issa got the call, she was like, oh, no, (laughs) I'm not in Barbie shape. I'm like, I'm just not Barbie shape ready. But then she realized like that first day on set that it was an inclusive set. So she immediately saw, you know, different body types, different types of Barbies, different types of Kens and tapped into the acceptance of her body. And so we're highlighting her as a soft black woman because once she's talking about this publicly, right? Sometimes these are internal dialogue things, which is really important for someone as powerful and incredibly intelligent and beautiful as Issa Rae. But acknowledging that she gave herself permission after filming all of these shows and producing and writing all these shows to to rest. She's described as letting herself go and eating whatever she wants but then also allowing herself to be who she is on set and being in community with other people. And so shout out to her. Well, again, one of the things that like I enjoyed so much about Barbie is like that one of the, one of the Barbies was, is this British actress, Shannon Rooney. And she stars in this British show, my mad fat diary. And it's about a fat girl who has mental health issues. And to see like that I couldn't even get through the show because it was so kind of triggering for my high school adolescence. And like, yeah, like she was literally like the show starts off with her. She spent like a summer being committed, you know, in a mental hospital and she doesn't Mm -hmm. want people to know. And she has like binge eating issues and stuff like that. But like to see her in the Barbie movie, I'm like, yeah, like, so I'm sure Issa like didn't feel that, but also like, to see Issa in the Barbie movie is like radical for some. So, and again, yeah. like, I think it's just also Issa's always been someone who has had quote unquote, the perfect body. She's always very toned and whatever. So to hear that she has issues, you know, and like she's embracing herself and it's a journey for everybody is just like beautiful. And the fact that she was also vulnerable is like radical too. And I'm sure that's like the ethos of this podcast is like, there's so much pressure to when you are one of the only dark skinned black people or like black women or this and that in in your role to be perfect and to be like, yeah, no, I am like, I wake up like this and I'm whatever. And the reality is like, the more that people could be like, I actually struggled with my body and I felt really insecure. And then seeing other people there be themselves and be, you know, be who they are helped me, you know, like that is being a soft black woman. It's not like I'm not perfect. I have my vulnerabilities and I'm going to share it. It's like soft and strong. Like, like absolutely. <laughs> Shout out to Hooray. Issa Rae, the whole team, especially my favorite, my mentee, Kaylin Cotton, Issa Rae's chief of staff. The What they give us is really important uh, for representation and um, seeing that role model through Issa Rae is important. But Millie, how are you going to bring softness into your week? Yes. You know, so yeah, I think that this has been a, a rough few months and <laughs> something that I'm thinking about is like, how can I, I I love spas and I'm trying to make some initial moves to plan a vacation Mm. and also make some moves to go to a spa in the next week. I love that for you. What about you? Uh, (laughs) Thank you for asking. Um, What am I going to do for softness? I am hopefully going to sleep on Friday um, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> it's been it's been uh, a very busy week. I had a procedure this week. Well, actually, that was my softness because I was put under. And let me tell you, it's great rest um, yeah. to have. So I'm I'm recovering from that as we speak. So I'm excited to like sleep and rest tomorrow. I don't work on Fridays, so that's the softness I have built into my week. And so I will have some therapy, and then I will be on the couch. And I'm excited about that. Thank you so much for coming on today. For the listeners, be sure to join the Soft Black Woman Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify and follow the Betcha Sup podcast wherever you're listening. We'll have new episodes of Soft Black Woman every single Friday, so be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss out on our next episode. You got to tell folks how to find you. 
Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Millie, M-I-L-L-Y underscore Tamarez, T-A-M-A-R-E-Z on Instagram, on Twitter or X or the the, <laughs> the platform formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Millie Tamarez. I have had two threads. Okay. So there's that. And I'm on TikTok. Y'all can follow me at Change Today, C-H-A-N-G-E-C-A-D-E-T. I remember to follow at Betches underscore news on Instagram and TikTok. And until next week, stay soft and keep being amazing. Soft Black Woman is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.